Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Uh, it's been a tough week. Uh, last week, uh, Spencer and Connie Whitney, who uh, suddenly, and lost, suddenly and unexpectedly lost their son, our condolences go to them. Uh, to Becky Coleman, who uh, lost her son Micah, our station's technical wizard. You've seen us talk about him on the show. You've benefited from his uh, expertise. Um, and after a long and arduous battle with uh, liver problems, uh, Micah passed away on Friday of last week. I have learned more uh, in the past uh, from these two people, Micah and his mother, than uh, you can imagine. And so his loss is uh, bitter in the sense that we're going to miss his skill, but uh, we rejoice in the fact that his suffering is over and that he is with the Lord, and we praise uh, Jesus that he made that possible in Micah's life and in ours as we worship him and know him. So thank you uh, all uh, for, Mike, for prayers on Michael's behalf. We know that you've prayed for him, and uh, we'll see him on the other side. In-house guests, we have a ton of them. And so let me get to naming them off quickly. We have Ed, Tiffany, Alicia, Anthony, Chad, Jim, Brandon, Nate, another Tiffany, and Melissa, all from Central Bible College mission teams from Springfield, Missouri. So we welcome this very handsome group sitting here, smiles, etc. And then we also have um, Becky, Micah's mom here, Dan, Micah's uncle, Micah's grandfather, Pastor Jim, and Tom, a family friend of the Coleman's. And then we have all those who uh, help and support from Elevation Church. We have Trinity Jordan, many of you know his name. We have Brandon and Brendan and Matt and Ronnie. We have Shane, Nicole, Brianna, and Joel who are engaged. And we have uh, Jeremy and Amy and Merle uh, answering the phones. And we have Ronnie and Shireen. We thank everybody who has uh, helped us on the show, who's been here for us and helps this happen. Shout outs. I want to say hello to Esad, my friend from the airport at Salt Lake City, who ran up to me and told me he watched the show and he couldn't believe it. So I want to say hi to you. I want to do a shout out to Joseph, a great fan who's coming to know the Lord. For Kevin, um, for Debbie and Kurt Paulson, to Nicole, to Ryan in Salt Lake City. To Debbie and Becky and Bountiful, we give you a great shout out. The event of the week is at Christ Evangelical Church tomorrow night. It's in Orem, Utah at 28, 280, excuse me, 280 South, 400 East, Orem, Utah. That's Christ Evangelical Church, 7 p.m. sharp. What is it? It's a heart in the church. What do we do there? Uh, we, I speak for about 15 minutes, and then we open the uh, forum up to question and answer. And it's always been a great event. Everybody's welcome. LDS, Buddhists, Christians, anybody who wants to come, show up, and we'll have a great time. So uh, the pastor's been gracious enough to open up the doors. Come on and, and visit us. In a week of great disappointments, we've had another one. I've been announcing for the past month a show called 
breakdown that was supposed to air tonight after this show. Those of you who have penciled this in and are uh, excitedly waiting for this to happen, in a life of setbacks, there's been a few, and so this one's going to be pushed back another few weeks or month or whatever it is. It's going to be a great show, but for right now, it's been put on the back burner to air. They're just making it better and better, and I promise you when it airs, it will well be worth it, so prepare yourself. I want to thank you. The, the Lord is really moving. We have, are getting emails and calls from people that are blowing my mind as far as what's happening with people coming to know the Lord uh, out of Mormonism, who are in Mormonism and coming to know the Lord, and we just praise God for that. When I was a kid, I used to watch presidential campaigns and other political campaigns, and when it turned into a smear campaign and they started attacking each other, I used to always think I would never come back and fight against the opponent with a smear tactic. It's just, they're just not worth the time. I always used to wonder, why do they do that? And I want you to know that we have a number of smear campaigns going on now against heart of the matter for some odd reason from all sides of the fence. And I want you to know that these attacks come from some very well-meaning people. And then they also come from some uh, just insane people. But, uh, and I'm not going to differentiate who's who, but I w want to tell you this. Jesus loves you, and when you are completely secure in him, your attacks on me will stop. I truly believe that. And so that's all I'll say about the attacks going on. Looking for a place to listen to other LDS share their thoughts for some fellowship and friendship? Why don't you try out Truth Seekers? Go to truthseekers333.com, and you can uh, email them and find out more information. Call the station if you have difficulty with that. All right, after all those announcements, let's have a word of prayer. And then we'll get into our message tonight. Dear Lord, we thank you for this, these facilities. We thank you for the opportunity to talk about you. We, talk, we thank you for being able to talk about Mormonism and the facts of Mormonism. And we pray that you will open up my mouth that I can say the things you want me to say and the listeners' and viewers' hearts. And uh, we just turn this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we examined the LDS Church claims that when their founder was a 14-year-old boy, he had a remarkable vision of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. I read a statement from Gordon B. Hinckley, prophet, seer, and revelator of the LDS Church today that said, and I quote, The whole strength of the church rests on the validity of that first vision. It either occurred or it did not occur. If it did not, then it is a work of fraud. If it did, then it is the most wonderful and important work under the heavens. End quote. We spent last week's uh, show examining the proofs of Joseph Smith's first vision as it is taught by Mormonism today. I made the statement that the first vision is vital to Mormonism for at least two important reasons. The first is the reality or fiction of it speaks to whether Joseph Smith was really a prophet of God or if he was a religious manipulator. The evidence we examined last week provided us with a very clear answer to this question. The second reason I said the first vision was vital to Mormonism is because as a result of it, Mormonism ultimately and distinctively embraces a totally different idea about the ontology or makeup of God. 
Mormonism today maintains, teaches, and testifies that Joseph Smith saw both God the Father and Jesus Christ. Mormonism says today that God the Father and Jesus Christ have individual bodies of flesh and bone, as tangible as man's. They say that God the Father and Jesus Christ are separate and distinct individuals and that the idea of a trinity is ridiculous and is a corrupt lie from misguided men and evil men over the ages. As a result of the first vision and other teaching, Mormonism says that God the Father was once a man himself and Mormonism teaches that there are a multiplicity of gods, if not Millions, trillions, and I have a quote that I'm not going to read, but it talks about trillions of gods. Tonight we're going to examine the distinct LDS doctrines that are, that are a result of the first vision and see if they either support whether the first vision actually happened or if they further prove that it was simply a fabrication of Joseph Smith from the start. I think there are a few facts that need to be understood before we launch into the second part and final part of this examination of the first vision. First, let's look at the historical setting of the times relative to visions, things that were occurring visionary in the church and outside of it. Last week, you remember that the earliest account of the first vision, which had been authenticated as having been handwritten by Joseph Smith, was composed at least 12 years after the event took place. And, it's, and in this version that Joseph Smith hand wrote, he only mentions seeing the sun. He mentions seeing Jesus as appearing in the grove. I think it's important to remember that the early 1820s were times rife with spiritual excitement and that many people were claiming to have had visions of Jesus Christ in all this anxiety and excitement. In 1816, when Joseph Smith was only 10 years old, a minister by the name of Elias Smith, no relation, out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, wrote a book titled The Life, Conversion, Preaching, Travels, and Sufferings of Elias Smith. And in that book, he wrote, quote, I went into the woods. A light appeared from heaven. My mind seemed to rise in the light to the throne of God and the Lamb. The Lamb once slain appeared to my understanding, and while viewing him, I felt such love to him as I had never felt anything earthly. It is impossible to tell how long I remained in the situation, end quote. Alexander Campbell, writing in 1824 about the revival in the state of religion, said, quote, Enthusiasm flourishes. This man was regenerated in his sleep by a vision in the night. That man heard a voice in the woods saying, Thy sins be forgiven thee. A third man saw his Savior descending to the tops of the trees at noonday. Asa Wilde had a revelation published in the Wayne Sentinel in 1823. The Wayne Sentinel was the newspaper the Smith family would have read in the area that they lived. This is what it said. Listen closely to the parallels of Joseph Smith's revised first vision published in, in the 1830s. Quote, It seemed as if my mind was struck motionless as well as into nothing before the awful and glorious majesty of the great Jehovah. Then he spoke. The article goes on, quote, he also told me that every denomination of professing Christians had become extremely corrupt. 
Now you remember in the revised first vision Joseph Smith came out, uh, out with, he said that the angel told him that all the churches were corrupt. This is the same thing that was being written in the newspaper by cre- believing Christians prior to the first vision happening. Does this all sound familiar? All of these accounts and others predate any mention verbally or in writing of Joseph Smith's first vision by at least 10 years. Joseph Smith's handwritten account of his supposed first vision was not unlike any other reported revelations that were described as having occurred throughout his teen years. Now, people might ask, can people see visions of Jesus Christ today? I don't see why not. I don't know that they do. I never have. I can't say for certain people do, but there is nothing in Scripture that says they can't see Jesus Christ. Other people witnessed him after his ascension. They, they, they looked, at, not after his ascension, but after his resurrection. They looked at his body. They felt the wounds in his hands. People have, have visions of Jesus, so there's no problem with that. But had, and so had Joseph Smith consistently held to his first handwritten account that he saw the Savior, as the account says, then people may have believed it more readily. The problem is, is that the final version of the first vision says he saw God the Father and the Son. And I'm going to explain to you how that happened. It's typical in Joseph Smith's fashion. It's typical in the LDS fashion today to interpolate. That means to change and add and revise and remove all kinds of information as further things are found out. And this is what he did. He took his first vision and he changed it as his ideas changed. I don't think Joseph Smith was aware that there was going to be historians looking at documents that he wrote back in the 1820s. I'm certain he wasn't aware of the uh, advent of the worldwide internet that would publish all this stuff and make it so readily available for you to see. Again, if you want to read some of this stuff with impeccable clarity, go to www.utlm.org and you can read all the things I'm saying and the verification and the citations of where this stuff comes from. The most aggressive addition to Joseph Smith's first vision um, that the church uses today was, as I said, that God the Father was standing above him in the air in a body of flesh and bones. The remainder of our show, or me talking, is going to be about this part of Joseph Smith's version and why I believe he was a fraud and this proves it. First, let's see what the Bible says about the nature of God and about men seeing God. Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is a spirit and they must worship him in spirit and in truth. Then when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, he said of himself, Behold my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see me. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Jesus himself, speaking of the Father, said, God is a spirit. And then speaking of himself, he says, A spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. To believe Joseph Smith's rewritten account of the first vision which the church embraces and pushes out to the public today, door to door, is to say that Jesus was not right, that Joseph knew better. That's what they're saying in that account. Think about this. Which is more trustworthy? Ancient document that came down or a revised version over and over and over again of Joseph finally suddenly seeing a God in a body of flesh and bones. Secondly, both the Old and the New Testament in in describing God, the Father, call him a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, For the Lord 
Thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. The New Testament in Hebrews 12, 28 says, For our God is a consuming fire. The word also says that God is not, is not a man. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Numbers 23, 19. What else does the word say that is in complete conflict with Joseph Smith's revised account that the church uses today as truth? The word says that man cannot even see God and live. Exodus 33, 20 says, no man can see me and live. 1 John 4, 12 says, no one has seen God at any time. If you love one another, God dwells in us. We don't see that. He's in us. And his love is perfected in us. John 1.18 says again, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is in, the invis- is in the image of the invisible God. And 1 Timothy 1.17 also calls God the Father eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Now speaking of Jesus dwelling uh, with the Father, that's the context of this scripture. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, listen to this closely. Speaking of Jesus, who ha- only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. So according to the word, God is a spirit, a consuming fire. He is not a man. He is invisible and no man can see him and live. Joseph's revised account that says he saw God and that God is a man in a body of flesh and bone is an outright biblical contradiction that is a lie. And it was fabricated over a period of time in order to make his story sound right. You have to investigate the facts. What are you going to trust? Latter-day Saints will cry, but the Bible has not been translated correctly, Mr. McCraney. This thing you can't trust on what it says about God. Well, let's say that that's correct. Let's go to the Book of Mormon then and see what Joseph Smith said in the Book of Mormon about God. All right? When Joseph Smith finished writing and publishing the Book of Mormon in 1830, he presented a book that described a very different concept of God than what the authorized version of the first vision presents today. So what I'm saying is Joseph Smith hadn't come up with all this stuff about God having a body of flesh and bone, God being once a man. He he hadn't decided that yet. It hadn't even come to him in his mind. So he presents this book in 1830 as being the perfect word of God. It came as a direct translation from God, and it's more perfect than the Bible will ever be, right? Well, remember that the LDS Church today presents a first vision account that happened uh, well after the Book of Mormon was presented to the world. Well, let's listen to what the Book of Mormon says about the nature of God. Messiah 15, 1 through 2 and 5, quote, And now Abinadi, this is a character in the Book of Mormon, said unto them, I would that ye should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. And because he dwelleth in the flesh, he shall be called the Son of God. And having subjected the flesh to the will of the Father, being the Father and the Son, and thus the flesh becoming subjected to the Spirit, 
or the Son to the Father being one God suffereth temptation. Suffereth temptation. Now don't try to understand it. Just hear the context of that. In other words, the Book of Mormon prophet Abinadi is teaching that God the Father comes down and becomes the Son. All right? At the end of the Book of Mormon, in Ether 3.14, there is a theological whopper that you have to hear as it speaks of God being two separate beings but only one personage. Listen, this is from the Book of Mormon that is so perfect and correct. Quote, Behold, I am he who was prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. Behold, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Father and the Son. In me shall all mankind have light. They shall become my sons and my daughters. Now, the theology found here is a second century heresy called Sabellianism. It's called modalistic monarchianism for the long word for it. And what it taught was that the Father actually came down and became the Son who actually left and became the Holy Spirit. That's called Sabellianism. I'm not going to talk to you about this heresy tonight, but that's what the Book of Mormon was teaching. And let me tell you, just say, of course, it's false. But in the context of our discussion about God, the important thing to remember here is that the Book of Mormon taught a very different version than what the first vision account teaches. Why? Because this is what Joseph Smith believed at the time that he wrote the Book of Mormon. He believed in monotheistic monarchism. He believed in the Sabellian concept of God. And that's what he incorporated into this thing that you say is a perfect book. But it's not. You can just look at the text. And this is why the earliest vision of only mentions the sun. In the earliest vision, uh, Joseph Smith's handwritten account, he only mentions seeing the sun. And it wasn't late until later that he adds the father. As Joseph Smith's thinking later changed, so did the visions change again and again and again. But it was too late to revise the Book of Mormon. So an ironic twist of fate uh, dealt only to those who deal in deception. The Book of Mormon actually refutes the first vision account. Okay? So you have problems. Let's take a little journey to, together through the facts, all right? And I know I'm giving you a lot of dates and things, but let's just go through the facts. In 1830, the Book of Mormon teaches Sabellianism, that God, the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are just one. And you, I can give you references on that. You can get those notes online if you want to see them. In 1830, he taught that the Father and the Son are modalistically the same person. The title page of the Book of Mormon says, quote, to the convincing of the Jews and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. That's what the title page says of the Book of Mormon. Alma chapter 18 and 22 teaches that God is a spirit in the Book of Mormon. And Joseph Smith went to great lengths even to revise parts of the uh, Bible that stress modalistic monarchism. He went and he did a thing called the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. And go to Luke, oh, did I write the reference? Luke chapter 10, verse 22. In Luke chapter 10, verse 22, this is what it says in the Bible. It's worth looking up, me taking the time. The Bible says this. Luke chapter 10, verse 22. Ready. Uh, All things are delivered to me of my Father, that no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, to he and he to him whom the Son 
will reveal. Now listen to what Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible did when he believed in Sabellianism. He translated that verse to say this, quote, No man knoweth that the Son is the Father. That's called Sabellianism. He translated the Bible, and that's what the Joseph Smith translation reads, and that the Father is the Son, but him to, who, but him to whom the Son will reveal it. Are you seeing the pattern, the switching, the changing, the constant morphing into a new doctrine? In 1832, Joseph Smith's handwritten account only lists Jesus one personage in his vision. He also dictated, which is now uh, section 84 of the Doctrine and Covenants, and in that he said that no man can see the face of God without the priesthood. This is in the Doctrine and Covenants section 84. Guess what? Joseph Smith had no restored priesthood when he said he saw God. Okay, we have a contradiction. We have an anachronistic difficulty right there. In 1835, Joseph started thinking differently. He started to separate God the Father. He put them as a person of spirit and Jesus in a tabernacle of flesh. In 1835, he be began to embrace a binatarian view of God with two in the Godhead and the Holy Spirit being just the mind of God. So he believed in two gods at that time. His verse vision accounts did not have God the Father in a physical body and he himself calls it a visitation of angels. Critics to Joseph Smith, like Alexander Campbell, prior to 1835, attacked him for his claims about authority, about modern revelation, about miracles. But Alexander Campbell never attacked Joseph Smith for his views about God in a body of flesh and bone. Why? Because Joseph hadn't announced this to the world yet. Okay? In 1835, Joseph started studying some Hebrew. And remember, Joseph possessed an amazing ability to take a little small bit of information and build an entire theology around it. He learned the word Elo or Elohim. And from that word, he built an entire theology on what Elohim is God the Father, Jehovah is God the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. But the Book of Mormon had been published and distributed for five years at this point. It said things that were now out of fashion relative to Joseph's new and imaginative doctrines. What could be done? Well, they took the Book of Mormon in 1837 and they changed it. Now, this is the perfect Book of Mormon that, you know, comes from direct revelation from God and they just changed the thing. And, you know, this is, was translated seven years before. Let me just show you quickly what was changed. First Nephi 11:18. okay? This says... It first said, in the 1830 edition, it said, And he said to me, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of God after the manner of the flesh. In 1837, they added, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God after the manner of the flesh. It says, And the angel said unto me, Behold, the Lamb of God, yea, even the eternal Father, that is what the original Book of Mormon says. Later in 1837, they added, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father. It completely changes the doctrine that was originally taught in the Book of Mormon as being the most correct book ever. And it goes on and on. There's all kinds of those references. For those of you who say the Bible can't be trusted because it's been changed, wait till we get to start discussing the Book of Mormon. You've built on a false theology. It scares me to death that you've bought into this. 
1842, Joseph Smith published the first vision account that tells about the two personages. It was 1842 when that first account was published, and it says he saw two personages above the glory of the sun standing above him in the air, and one of them spoke unto me and said to the other, This is my beloved son, hear him. It was 1842. 1820, he was supposed to have had the vision. It wasn't in 18, until 1842 that the... Um, official came out. In 1843, he dictated the Doctrine and Covenants, section 130, that teaches officially that God the Father and Jesus Christ have bodies of flesh and bones as distinct as man's. And then in 1844, Joseph began to give sermons on uh, God and how there's a multiplicity of gods, how there was a council of gods, and he was killed shortly thereafter. Who knows, and I say this tongue-in-cheek and I'm a little bit sarcastic, but had Joseph been allowed to live, he may have suddenly announced that he was God. I don't know. But, you know, it just, the way things were rolling, it was just amazing what was going on. So, before we go to the phone lines, I want to give you what I believe is the telltale sign of why Joseph Smith's claim that he saw God is a lie. And I'm going to go to the Bible to, to prove it. One of the telltale signs of a person who has had a real experience with God is they become decimated in their spirit. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit is another way to say you've been decimated by his presence, in my opinion. When we read in Scripture about men who had seen visions of God, we read of men who were humbled and decimated in spirit. When we go to Isaiah, in Isaiah 6.1, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, lifted and high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is decimation of spirit. Woe is me, says Isaiah. And you see his humility through the rest of the book of Isaiah. When Daniel saw the Lord in vision, he said that his beauty became as corruption. And it says in Daniel 10:7, and Daniel alone saw the vision. And it goes on to say, Therefore I was left alone and saw his great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. You lose everything you are as a man or woman when you have a real intimate experience with God because you see yourself relative to him. When Peter recognized the Lord for filling their nets after fishing all night without having any bites, and suddenly the Lord filled the nets, Luke's response, I mean, Peter's response was, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is the attitude and response of a person who has had a genuine encounter with God. This is being poor in spirit. Do we read anything from Joseph Smith that smacks of broken decimation from claiming to have seen God? Do we sense anything from him that he was poor in spirit? Does Joseph's attitude as a man who claims to have actually seen the invisible God grow in humble admiration of the sovereign Lord? Or does he, like other self-made religious manipulators, 
grow in pride and arrogance. I want to close tonight with a quote from the man Mormons say saw God. This happened in the later years of his life. A man they hold in higher esteem than Isaiah, than Daniel, than Peter, than Paul. His words come from Church History, Volume 6, page 408-409. Come on, ye false swearers, ye persecutors. All hell boil, all hell boil over. Ye burning mountains, roll down your lava, for I will come out on top at last. I have more to boast of than any than ever any man had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. When they can get rid of me, the devil will go also. Latter-day Saints, it's time to get rid of him. And when you do, the devil will go. All right, let's go to the phones. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We have a first-time caller from Orem on line two. Bruce, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how are you? Doing well, how are you? Hey, I want to point out one other place in the Book of Mormon where it talks about uh, the Trinity. About what? About the Trinity. Oh, you know what? There's a whole bunch. If you have a Book of Mormon, go back to the back and just look under God. But when we cover the Book of Mormon, uh, I will definitely lay all that stuff out. I don't have them off the top of my head. I'm not uh, a scholar with a great mind. I just research. Right. I, w- I want to tell you of one other place though, oh. where it talks about it. I don't hear. I don't listen very well either. All right, go ahead. What is it? Okay, it's in the, the testimony of the three witnesses. Oh. And it says, uh, And we know that if we are faithful in Christ, we shall rid our garments of the blood of all men and be found spotless before the judgment seat of Christ, and shall dwell with him eternally in the heavens. And the honor be to, and the, honor be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, which is one God. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have uh, another evidence, and I really appreciate you bringing it up. It's just not, it's not from me. This is from a caller. He just looked it. He's got it. They're all through the Book of Mormon. I really appreciate it, Bruce. Hey, have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow night. Okay, good. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Listen, as, we, as the operators catch up with the phone lines, uh, let me answer a few things. I get, I've gotten these repetitively this past few weeks. Why don't you let all callers through on your show instead of just the easy ones? Uh, I want you to know that we don't screen people. We hope Latter-day Saints will call. In fact, I hope Latter-day Saints will inundate us with tough questions. I invite you to. We have never turned a Latter-day Saint away from being on the show, ever. You're just, you're just not calling. So call with your tough questions, and we will not turn you away. Now, if you get a busy signal or you get the recording, I can't help that. That's busy. But we will always take your call. We have never said, oh, that's too tough a question to handle on the air. We will take it. So bring it, all right? Okay, second... Um, how much are they paying you for your priestcrafts? I get, I get accused of this thing called priestcrafts by the Mormon. Priestcrafts are when you make a living off other people by taking advantage of them through religious means, and Mormons are really big on priestcrafts uh, because their, lay, their clergy is lay at the local level. We won't talk about the, that the other higher-ups earn an income, but um, so much you can't let it go, right? And so I get this often. I want you to know that I am in debt 
And, uh, and that's no big deal. Don't send money because I said that. It's just the way it is. And we're not in this for money. If I was in this, for money, if I was in this life for money, I can make money. You know, I was, I'm a stockbroker. I was a stockbroker 15 years. You actually think I'm doing this, uh, traveling to Utah to do a television show like this, and that they're paying me? Everything costs us. So just back off with the ridiculous claim that I'm in this for the money. I'm in this to help Latter-day Saints know the real Jesus. That's it. All right? And when they do, I'll walk away. All right? I'll tax someone else. Just kidding. Okay. Uh, third, why don't you have LDS on the show? And I know we're going to get to these callers quick. And the, the reason for that is I welcome any Latter-day Saint on this show who is an official representative. We can't have somebody who just feels a certain way because you don't represent the church. If you represent the church officially, you are always welcome on the show. I have a warm seat right here for you, and we'll go. All right, so you're, you're welcome if you're an official representative to come on the show. All right, let's go to Buffy, the vampire's life, on line three, first time caller. Buffy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing well, how are you? Good. I wanted to ask um, why uh, men can go to the Relief Society meetings, but women can't go to the priesthood meetings. Can men go to the Relief Society meetings? They do. They've had, like, I went to one where... Uh, the single ward where the bishop and the bishopric sat in on it. Oh, yeah. The, the authority, the priesthood authority, yeah. They can go in and observe to see what's going on there. There's no authority over a bishop or in the ward or no authority over a stake president in a stake. So there would be no reason for uh, a woman to go into the priesthood meetings and to observe what's going on because they don't have any authority over the men. The men have the priesthood. So that's the reason. Now, I don't agree with that, but uh, that's the reason. Okay. It just felt kind of secretive and, you know. It is. And the whole priesthood thing, which we'll cover soon, is just a farce. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend people who were cut their teeth on this stuff and really believe it with all their heart. They've been deceived, but it's just a farce relative to what the Bible says, especially through Hebrews, and we'll cover that. Okay. Thanks, Buffy. Thanks for your call. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you. We're going to Brad. Could be an exciting call here from Lehigh. Brad, you're on Heart of the Matter. Brad, could be an exciting call. Brad, you gotta turn. Oh, Sean. Brad, you gotta turn your TV off, man. Oh, I thought I hit. I thought I hit mute. Oh, yeah, hit it again. Okay, I apologize about that. Hmm. I thought I hit mute. It's all right, man. What's going on? Um. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I was raised uh, LDS, born and raised. I was unfortunately I was raised Navy brat, LDS, stepfather in the Navy, and. Uh, you know, San Diego, Groton, Connecticut, uh, up in Washington State. And I've been living up here. I've been living here for over two years now. So what's going on? Well, I lived up when I when I lived in Washington. Uh, sometimes I would, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd leave. I'd you know, even when I was a young teenager, I'd uh, I I felt pretty much agnostic, and I heavily resented my parents telling me what to believe and how to believe it. Sounds typical for a teenager. What about now? Um, well, I don't, yeah, I just don't mean to frighten you by saying I'm agnostic, but. Well, it doesn't frighten me. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, so. You gotta, you, the only thing is, and I don't, I don't mean to be offensive at all, but we have a lot of callers and you gotta really lay down the point really quickly. Okay, I, yeah, I'm getting to that. I, I just wish I had more time. I'll, I'll get to it um so when i was living up in washington 
Uh, yeah, I, I'd go around looking at other churches, and I'd go to one evangelical church, Yeah, and there'd be uh, in Bremerton, Washington, for example, and there'd be a nice pastor, and the, he would say, homosexuality is a sin. Okay, it is. That's what the Bible says, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm gay, but then, I'd go, but then I'd go to cross the Puget Sound to a so-called evangelical church okay. in Seattle, and there was a lesbian pastor. Wow. Well, let me answer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick on that point right now, make a comment, and then we're going to go on, Brad. All right? I was just wanting to in, interject. Hello? I'm still here. Yeah, I just wanted to say is that wherever I went when I was a child in the Mormon church, that they were consistent on sure. no smoking, no right. alcoholic beverages, yeah. chastity is a virtue, premarital right. sex is a sin. Right. Homosexuality is a sin. Right. You'll find LDS wards like the uh, Los Angeles. Everywhere I went in the country, they were consistent. Well, you are tenacious. Like I go to some other Brad, church. Brad, I'm gonna. I understand your point, and I'm gonna address that now. All right, buddy. I gotta let you go, and I'm gonna address your point. The point is, Brad says, "Hey, when I go to another church, it's not like McDonald's. I don't get the same meal, and I want the same meal everywhere I go." Well, that's kind of the fallout of God giving us freedom. And he lets people worship him. And when people, sometimes they get away from what the word says and they start throwing in their own ideas and they start putting this here and saying, well, you know, homosexuality's got to be right. I have a niece who's gay and she's such a nice person. It's got to be. And they just start losing what this says. But if you find a true Christian pastor or church that follows the Bible, you're going to agree on 99% of the stuff that's, that the Bible says, and there's no problem. So it's, it's a problem, and then again, it's also liberating, because there's nothing worse than going to a place where everything is preset, all the answers are there, it's very liturgical, and you just have to do what they say, and you know, it's liberating to have someone teach the Word in truth and in spirit and follow it along. I don't know if I answered that real well, but we're going on. Joshua on line one. Joshua, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yeah, Sean. Hey, this is John up in Brigham City. Uh, God bless you for all the great work that you're doing. We sure appreciate it. Uh, I've got a friend that has done several documentaries and a lot of research into the uh, archaeology aspect uh, in the Latin America to disprove the Book of Mormon. And I don't know if he was aware of the guy or, or aware of uh, maybe some of the work that he'd done. I don't know if I want to give you his name over the air, but I'd be glad to e email that to you. Yeah, email it to me. And we're going to get into all the archaeological stuff when we get to the Book of Mormon. Okay. Hey, I just want to let you know that, and I'll get that to you, and I'm sure you'll find it very interesting. All right, great. Thanks so much. All right. Hey, God bless you. God bless you, too. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, just a reminder... Christ Evangelical Church tomorrow, 7 p.m. It's in Orem. I gave you the address earlier. Show up. We want you to be there. We're going to Jim in Layton on line three. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah. Jim. How's it going, man? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Hey, dude, I'm just sitting here uh, eating some dinner, and you got me cracking up. I got you what? You got me cracking up. I'm laughing my head off. At what? Well, there's a couple weeks ago, man. You. Uh, here we go. You were you had a couple people that were kind of troubled uh, members of the church. Yeah. And you uh, referred to them a church to go to and uh, told them a couple different ones and said whatever one suits them best. Now yeah. that makes me laugh because uh, I mean you're a, you're a Bible scholar. You've read the Bible. Well, it doesn't make me a scholar, but go ahead. Yeah, but 
but we do know that uh, Christ, uh, he built his church on a foundation of apostles and prophets. Yeah, it's built on a foundation of apostles okay. and prophets. There's no problem with that. It's a foundation. It's not an existing group of apostles and prophets that lead and guide the church in these latter days. No, but who's, yeah. the, who's the prophet of your church? The, the prof, that's the problem, is you take the Old Testament, you're an Old Testament believer. Prophets of the Old Testament, were uh, like of Moses' ilk, were of a certain, uh, they had a certain office and a certain thing to do. Prophets today is the gift of prophecy. It's a spiritual gift that all different believers, women can have the gift of prophecy, and they can receive revelation from God for the church. I'm, you're, I'm, trying to put us, you're trying to put us back into the Old Testament with a Moses again. No, it just doesn't work. I'm talking about Ephesians, the New Testament, where Christ established a church on a foundation of apostles. Okay, do you know what a foundation is? The foundation. That's of right, exactly. What does John say about apostles and prophets? John says that the whole law was fulfilled. The law and the prophets were fulfilled until John. Jesus says that. The law and the prophets were fulfilled until John. How do you dispute that? Hey, dude. No, how do you dispute it? Now, who's your prophet, man? Well, there's no prophet. You're giving a straw man argument, so you think that you can, you can present this, this fake facade of an argument, and then you can chop it down and then burn me. No. But you're wrong. You don't understand what spiritual gifts are. You get angry just like Coral, it's like not, that old lady Cor said, man. Coral whore, again, listen, if you're going to make comparisons with the Book of Mormon, you got to know your characters. Oh, man. Coral whore denied oh, Christ. You're so wishy You don't even know your characters of the Book of Mormon. you got so many different churches that, that cater to people. You don't, what, you can't handle choice in your life? You need to be directed by someone who hey. says it has to be this way? God's the same. Are you yes. so weak you can't? You'll have to deal with that eventually, man. Deal with what? That he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and change? forever. He, he doesn't change with life. He didn't change. He, according to you, he does. No. You, you tell people, I mean, you've got different churches. I mean, there's no prophet. What? You have to have, what you're saying is you have to have a cookie cutter corporate church that gives you oh. every single direction on how to live. You know how what? Many, how many piercings you can have in your ears? What color shirt you need to wear on Sundays? What else do they tell you? When to fast. They tell you when to fast as a group. They tell you what books you can read and what books you can't. Oh, they tell you that you have to go to their temple and you have to pay tithing to go to that temple in order for your salvation. Do you want me to go on? They you don't. can't think for yourself. You know what? You have returned your will over to a guy who calls himself a prophet on a false premise. You can't follow commandments to save your life, man. What do you mean I can't follow commandments to save my life? <laughs> my life is about following Jesus. I love him. You're right. I'm a sinner. But so are you and you have come to the conclusion that you're not another evidence of you following a false prophet. How could you not believe you don't have sin in your life? I'd love to see you get angry because you're... Because I'm passionate about the Lord, and you are passionate about a church. Hey, and there is always a difference. There's organization, okay? Oh, there is organization, all right. And it's led by Jesus, and it's built by believers, I can't not by a church. I think I won this conversation. Bye. <laughs> don't clap. I just got... I just have fun with that. Okay, I'm going to get all kinds of emails. You just relax. You know, it's part of the show. It's totally all right. We're going to Rob, first time caller on two. Rob, I hope our conversation's better. Hi. Hi. How you're, are you? You're on the air, Rob. I'm sorry. Thank you. You're welcome. I just have a question. Thank you there. Yeah, you got to turn off your TV, Rob. Okay. Um, I do have a question. Yeah. Go ahead. The TV. Turn off the TV. <laughs> that echoes just Very a, deaf. Okay, you ready? You're on the air. Yes, I have a question. Okay. Um, in Exodus, yeah. prior to Christ being born, yes, we know that uh, Christ has appeared to different people, of course, with bodies. 
Yes. And uh, because he has a body after he was born. Right. Prior to being born, he did not have a body. Right. Okay, well, when Moses entered the tabernacle, this is in Exodus 33. Yeah. And a pillar came down to the door of the tabernacle. Uh-huh. And it says that the Lord, did want, he wanted to see the glory. Yeah. He wanted to see the glory of God. Yeah. And God said, I want to show you the glory, but you cannot see my face in verse 20. Right. See my face and live. Right. Then it says, I'll put you in a cleft of a rock. Right. I'll pass by and put my hand in front of your face, and you shall see my back parts. Right. But my face shall not be seen. Okay. So my question is, if Moses could see his back, how can he not have a body? Right. And by the way, for the audience, this is a standard argument that LDS missionaries use when it comes to people who don't readily buy the idea that God has a body of flesh and bones. The, here's a couple answers to that. One is it, a Christophany. God can appear in a number of different ways. The Jews used anthropomorphic terms to describe God of the Old Testament. There's also passages, which you haven't read tonight, which talk about God having feathers and God being like a bird and having bird parts. So, And we know God isn't that. They used anthropomorphic terms to describe the situation that was going on. I know the Holy Ghost was as a dove. I don't remember God as a, as a bird. Yeah, check the Old Testament. I don't know, what, it, but it's feathers. They actually say it's feathers feathers, and if anyone knows it, shout it out. Okay. So my but, 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 but let me continue. Beside the anthropomorphic terms, beside it being a, 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 a Christophany, which is Christ appearing, uh, which we believe that, Melch I believe Melchizedek was a Christophany, and I believe that was Christ appearing in the form of a man there. But uh, uh, that doesn't say God the Father, and this is the most important reason why this argument doesn't work. Because there are other verses that say, no man has seen God at any time. And you have to take the word contextually as a whole. You cannot just take a single passage and say, oh, look, that proves it. You have to take beginning to end. And if there are passages that say, no man has seen God at any time, then you have to be able to look at these other passages and put them in the context. That's my answer. Agreed. Okay, so also in that same uh, chapter when it says he spoke with uh, God face to face as a man speaking with his friend. That's that's kind of metaphorically speaking. Yes, it is metaphorically speaking because there's other. I wish I had uh, the symbolism that the Jews used, but it's try Psalms 91 for the references about God having the the parts of a bird. But um, you know, I got to tell you this. This is a side note. I want you to know that we have a camera person who just went like this to me, so uh, it's hard to keep a straight face at times. But uh, <laughs> Psalms 91, try that. And just understand that the Jews used a very rich language, what they had to uh, their availability, their own knowledge, to help describe the things that they were seeing and doing. But you have to take the word in context, and that will answer that question better than anything else. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Hey, brother, thanks for calling. Okay. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Josh, line four. Josh, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing unbelievable, man, and I'm very pleased that that man just made the comment that he did when he was going, he's tripping out on you. Let me give you a prime example of what the LDS president is doing right now. I have an individual that's a friend of mine who I see him on the bus. We used to have the same problems with drugs, being locked up in jail, all that stuff. That's the past. Um, he asked me if I'm still going to church. I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, yeah, I'm about to get baptized, and he stopped me. out had a baffled look on his face. And he told me, well, I had to write a letter to the LDS president of, of the church and let him know all the things that I've done wrong, and I'm waiting for a response back from him if I can be baptized to the church, to the club. Yeah. And my whole point being is there's a man right now trying to play God with a pen and, pen and paper in someone else's life when it's readily available. 
what I want to say is people in Utah, when they see the LDS Church, when they see the example that's set for them, that looks unaccomplishable. I'm sorry to say, but the LDS Church is doing much more damage to the true sinners of this world than they are helping out on anything. And so well put. I'd like to add so that, well put. You know, it yeah. is just, it just uh, using the word decimation, it just, it just wipes out people who have a sin and know they have it. It just destroys them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I want people to know that the body of Christ, we all add up to make one beautiful, beautiful thing that Christ has made us to be. There's no man that's in charge except Jesus Christ and the Holy Amen. Spirit. The moment Christ died, the moment that the curtain ripped, it ripped for a purpose because there's no reason for a Jew to be behind a curtain praying for millions of people and coming out and saying, this is what's going to happen. Amen. all the Holy Spirit. And that's what it's used for. I, I ask of the true Christians to play, pray for Mac and let his eyes be opened. He says, I can feel it. I just know it. Well, you know what? The heart's de deceitful, but the spirit is true. And Mac, I'm sorry to say, but you have been. You've been deceived, bud. Yeah. And I love you very much. But I want you LDS people to know that there's someone making decisions for you when you have the Holy Spirit, the gift that was given to you the moment that Christ died. Praise God. Praise God, man. Thank you so much for that wonderful call, brother. Hi, word, man. Okay, bye-bye. Word. Hey, all right, we're going to Jeannie, first-time caller on line one. Jeannie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. God bless you. God bless you. Hey, um, I am a born-again Christian, and my husband was raised LDS. Uh-huh. And um, he has started to come to church with me, and um, I'm not sure what is the best thing, in your opinion, that I can do to help him on his journey. He kind of has one foot still in the LDS church because of the kingdom level thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, so he can, I, I don't know if he's just, you know, well, that. Jeannie, you're in a situation that is difficult. I've been in it myself. And I want you to know that the thing that is going to lead him out is going to be uh, prayer. It's going to be your witness to him as a Christian. It's not going to be your knowledge of Mormonism or your scoffing at it or attacking it. It's going to be your love for God and for your husband and your family and how you continually are there for him as a, as a Christian woman. And you gently, as the Spirit guides, teach him biblical truths. See if you can expose him gently to the word being preached. If you can get him to study something of the Bible with you. And in time, you're in for a long battle in some cases. In time, he will come through. He will see your example, and I, and I pray to God that, that it will happen in a, a short order for your uh, sanity. But hang in there, sister, and don't let his activity or going back and forth. It's normal because we are so inculcated with what the church teaches us that when we, we start to question it, we're taught that we're on the road to damnation. So he's going to vacillate. But you keep praying. You keep being the good Christian woman you are and love him to death. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. We're going to Leah, first-time caller in Provo. Leah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Leah? Yes. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. You're on the air. Leah? I can't hear him. I'm sorry. You're on the air. You have to turn off your TV. Okay, turn it up. Off, Hi. off. Sorry. Okay. I can hear you. Okay. Go ahead. You're on the air. Okay, this is weird. <laughs> sorry. Um, I just had a comment on a comment, a question that was asked about uh, why LDS women didn't attend, um, can't attend priesthood meeting. Yeah. And... Um, I actually have sat in on two priesthood meetings. Well, very good. 
Uh, you know, the exception never makes a good general rule. Generally, they, women just don't attend that. And there are exceptions to everything under the sun, especially in Mormonism. And so uh, you, uh, you represent, uh, you know, uh, uh, something that's happened that's a little bit different than the norm. And uh, that was good. Hey, are you a born-again Christian? Um, used to be. You used to be a born-again Christian, and now you're Mormon? Yes. Hey, listen, you got you to gotta tell us how that happens. How, how active were you as a Christian? Extremely active. Really? Did you really have a, a spiritual regenerative experience with Jesus? When I was 17. 17, and you came to know him as your personal Savior? I did. You realized you were saved by grace? Uh-huh. And now, do you, are you still under that impression? Yes. Now, how are you or LDS? Uh-huh. What'd you say? How are you LDS? How am I LDS? Yeah, I mean, because if you're LDS, the only way that you can live with God again, in their theology, is you have to go to the temple, you have to receive the new and everlasting covenant, you have to be sealed for time and all eternity, you have to obey all the edicts that they present to you throughout your life in order to be worthy to meet God in the future. How is that being saved by grace? Um, because you can't, even if you do all those things, um, it's still not enough. And so then why do them? are saved by grace. So then why do them? Uh, why live any kind of commandment? Well, because the, there's commandments that bear the fruit of the Spirit, of love, peace, and joy, and all those things. Really, that, that's what Paul talks about. Yeah, but then there's commandments that tie you back up into legalisms that are mandatory for salvation. You are tied back up into legalisms that are mandatory for salvation. Do you realize that? Mm, I think it's still... Hey, can we send you my book? Huh? We, if I send you my book, it's not, it's not attacking. If I send you my book, will you read it? Maybe. Yeah, sure. Okay. Hey, listen, stay on the line and we're going to, uh, and the operator will pick up and get your address and we'll send you the book for free and please read it. And then uh, call us back and tell us, uh, what your thoughts are. Sure. Okay, Leah, hold on. Uh, we are going to Al first. We're not going to Al. Al, first time caller. I'm sorry. We're out of time. Um, Got to wrap this up. It's been a great show. We appreciate all of your interest. I want to let you know that um, there is another show that you can tune into. People ask where churches are. You can go to our website at www.bornagainmormon.com. At that website, you can find a number of recommended churches in the area. Uh, you can also um, watch the Infallible Word. It's where we go verse by verse through the Bible. If you want to learn the Bible and you can't get out to a church or something like that, or you just want to learn more, it's on Monday nights at 9.30 p.m. and Friday evenings at 8.30 p.m. We uh, recommend that you tune into that because you'll start to hear the Word just preached. I don't talk about Mormonism at all. It's just the Word. We started in the Gospel of John, and we just hit uh, John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, and so I uh, hope you'll tune in. Remember, tomorrow night, Christ Evangelical Church in Provo, in, in Orem, in Orem, Utah. Christ Evangelical Church, 280 South, 400 East in Orem, Utah. You BYU students who I know watch the show, you give me the looks in the airport and the snickers and things and act like you're going to beat me up and you always chicken out. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, you know, you guys come. Let's ask questions. And uh, we hope that you will be there with us. Finally, we want to uh, say good night and uh, a temporary goodbye to our friend Micah, who we are going to miss uh, with all our hearts here in the station and in our lives, but we know that he is in a better place than we could ever dream of being. God bless you all. We'll see you next week on Heart of the Matter.